being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The following is a segment from an article titled, Growing Up Digital, Wired for Distraction, that was uh, published in the New York Times in November of 2010. It says, on the eve of a pivotal academic year in Vishal Singh's life, he faces a stark choice on his bedroom desk, book or computer. By all rights, Vishal, a bright 17-year-old, should already have finished the book Kurt Vonnegut's Cat's Cradle, his summer reading assignment. But he has managed 43 pages in two months. He typically favors Facebook, YouTube, and making digital videos. That was the case one August afternoon. Bypassing Vonnegut, he clicks over to YouTube, meaning that tomorrow he will enter his senior year of high school, hoping to see an improvement in his grades but without having completed his only summer homework. On YouTube, you can get a whole story in six minutes, he explains. A book takes so long. I prefer the immediate gratification. Students have always faced distractions and time wasters, but computers and cell phones and the constant stream of stimuli they offer pose a profound new challenge to focusing and learning. That was written back in 2010, as I said. It's even worse now. You know, I used to think that having a phone in my pocket was a really good thing. But, in fact, actually what I have in my pocket is more of a computer than a phone. But not everything about it that is good. And I have to confess that sometimes I text or answer a phone call when I drive... I mean, in the one car we have, you can do it hands-free, but not not in the other car. I don't do it very often, but I do it on occasion. When you have a phone computer with you, phone slash computer, 12 to 16 hours a day, you are subject to many more interruptions during the day than you would be if you did not have it with you. One of the challenges of technology today is the distraction that it causes. And you could say, in in, in a sense, we are technologically challenged. You know, I have a cell phone in my pocket, an iPad, a laptop, 
and a desktop computer. <laughs> and many of my waking hours are spent on those devices. My morning hours are spent primarily working on this laptop. And, and as I'm working on my laptop, I have my cell phone there right beside me on the desk. And I used to leave it there with the screen facing up. Uh, but I receive notifications on my, on my cell phone. And when I see them, of course, I'm, I'm I see them out of the corner of my eye and I'm tempted to look at what the notification is. And so I have to turn my phone over so that it doesn't distract me. You know, I can read the notifications later. They're usually not all that important. I even had to turn off my notifications on my laptop because because the email would flash across the top of my screen. And so I, naturally my eyes went right to it to, to see what it was, who sent me an email, and, and what it was about. So I had to turn that off. Steve Clore, who is a minister in Fort Worth, Texas, wrote, when you're engaged with technology, you are not fully engaged in what is going on around you. And when you are not fully engaged in what is going on around you, you are not fully present. And when you're not fully present, you are not able to live out what God desires from you in that moment. Now, you may agree or disagree, but you have to admit that technology creates distractions. And I'm sure you've seen people walking along looking at their phones and, and, and not watching where they're going I saw a segment on ABC News about the dangers of looking at your cell phone when walking. In London, England, there are so many people texting and walking that they had to install pads on lampposts on the sidewalks. One of the challenges that we face as we attempt to live out our mission is to learn to eliminate distractions. The early church in Acts had to learn this also because the mission continued to grow. And as it did, distractions began to develop, which can become a barrier to completing the mission. The mission is the number one priority of the church. The mission is the reason, at least one of the reasons, the church was created. Ephesians 3, 10 and 11, his purpose was that through the church, all the rulers and powers in the heavenly world will now know God's wisdom, which has so many forms. And this agrees with the purpose God had since the beginning of time, and he carried out his plan through Christ Jesus our Lord. And Satan's goal is to distract us from the mission by causing problems within the church. In the reading in Acts 6 that I just read for you, Luke mentioned an issue that arose in the Jerusalem church. A complaint arose between Hellenist Jews and Hebraic Jews. Hellenist Jews grew up outside of Palestine and were more engaged in the Greek culture and language. Hebraic Jews grew up in Palestine and were more committed to the Hebrew culture and language. 
And the complaint had to do with the Hebraic Jewish widows who were receiving a daily distribution of food, but the Hellenist Jewish widows were not. You know, in the Old Testament, God expressed his extreme displeasure of murmuring and complaining. In Numbers 11, you know, the Jews who were being led out of Egypt by Moses complained not because they didn't have food, but because they were not satisfied with the food God had given them. They had manna, but no meat. And they complained about not having any meat. And so God gave them what, he, what they wanted. He gave them quail to eat in addition to the manna. But it says in Numbers eleven thirty three and 34, the Lord became very angry. And he gave the people a terrible sickness that came while the meat was still in their mouths. So the people named that place Ketah Hatava, which means graves of craving. Because there they buried those who complained about the food. The issue that results in complaints is often not the real issue. The issue that created the conflict in Acts 6 wasn't just about a lack of food for widows, but more about a a certain culture group, Hellenist widows, that felt as though they were not wanted or not receiving much attention. And since the apostles were looked upon, you know, as the leaders, you know, in Acts 6-2, they called the members of the Jerusalem church together, explained the problem, and asked the congregation to select seven men to handle the task of making sure the Hellenist Jewish widows received a distribution of food. When there is a problem that affects the congregation, the church, the congregation should really work together to solve the problem. You know, it should not always be just elders or ministers who uh, are engaged in that task. Sometimes it affects the entire congregation. And and so in that case, the congregation needs to get together and solve the problem. In this case, the congregation chose those seven men they believe were qualified to take care of the problem. And because the issue was not just about food, the men of the congregation selected men who had a good reputation and were full of spirit of the spirit and wisdom. In other words, they chose very spiritual men to solve a spiritual problem. According to the Harper Bible Dictionary, these men had a Hellenistic background that they chose, which was a very wise choice because it was the Hellenistic widows who were feeling neglected. So the apostles dealt with this conflict, this complaint, by delegating. And why did they delegate? Acts 6.2 provides the answer. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we, the apostles, should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Verse 4, But we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Over the past two to three years, I have asked you to sign up to pray a specific prayer every day for this church. And many of you signed up, and I I try to send an email out every Friday just to kind of give you a, a little devotional and to remind you of that. 
the apostles, Acts 6-4 is really the reason behind it, asking you to pray. The apostles devoted themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Because as we said last week, our world needs the word. If you think the church can accomplish God's mission without his help, (laughs) you're fooling yourself. We need his help to accomplish the mission. The apostles recognized that Satan was attempting to use this complaint to keep the church from spreading the word that the world needs to hear. And if the apostles had to deal with this problem themselves, they would have had to at least temporarily given up their mission of spreading the word and their time spent in prayer. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, the main purpose of the church is to spread the word. There are many other ministries in which we engage, but the most important ministry is to spread the word about Jesus. All of our ministries really should be designed to support that most important one. After the resurrection and just before Jesus ascended back to the Father, he gave his apostles and the church that mission. You know, it was not to go into all the world and feed the widows. It was not to go into all the world and, 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 and serve the homeless. It was to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that he had commanded them. That was the mission. Now, that doesn't mean we should stop feeding widows or the homeless. That's not my point. We have a responsibility to carry one another's burdens, okay? So the point I'm attempting to make is that the church's primary mission or the main thing is spreading the word. It is sharing Jesus, and we have to avoid distractions in order to keep our focus on the main thing. We have a mission statement of sharing Jesus and and serving others. We need to put somewhere up there, we need to put the word and. You know, we, we need to think about how we can serve others and share Jesus. Because if we're just serving others and not sharing Jesus, then we're not fulfilling the mission. A number of years ago, there was an article in the Columbus Dispatch about uh, Christian pro golfers who prefer not to attend church or, or worship services. And, and, you know, many Christian golfers are not able to attend on, on Sunday morning if, if they've qualified for the final round, which is played on Sunday. Tom Lehman is a Christian golfer, and he said, there definitely are some things you have to give up with this lifestyle, but I've come to the conclusion that church is meeting with God. Another pro, Larry Mai, said, in lieu of church, players encourage each other to enjoy God's creation. Now, there's nothing wrong with meeting with God, obviously, and enjoying his creation. I mean, you can do those things just about anywhere. But the church itself has a much greater purpose. Our purpose is not just about meeting with God or enjoying his creation. It's about encouraging one another and building each other up so we can go out and spread the word. If the church gets caught up in petty controversies and internal problems, personal agendas, it makes it difficult to engage in mission and spread the word. 
According to a study by Inc. 500, which is a, a business magazine, was founded in 1979. It's best known for its annual rankings of the fastest growing privately held companies in the United States. And it revealed that among the fastest growing companies, 95% of the failures were due to internal problems. And that same, prob- that, that same problem hamstrings the, uh, the, the, the hamstrings that industry also hamstrings the church. Although there may be the perception that some external source is preventing growth, it's usually internal problems that impede growth and create a stagnant congregation. I think many of you are already well aware of that. Keeping the mission of God and the gospel of Jesus as our main focus is is so critical. It helps keep us on the same page. It helps produce greater unity. And God will be able to do so much more. Not that we can hinder God, but we hinder ourselves in the work of God. The church's task is really not to keep you happy. The, church of the, the church's task is to do the will of God. Max Lucado made a point about this in, in one of his books. It was an article titled Sour Grapes. He said, I once knew a man who treated Bible class and the worship service like a harsh movie critic treated a new release. Entertain me. Arms folded, lips tight, expectant. This had better be good. With a ruthless eye and a critical ear, he sat and watched and listened. The teacher, the minister, the music director, all were his prey. And woe be unto the teacher who didn't ask his opinion. Unto the minister who went a few minutes over. Unto the music director who chose songs the critic didn't know. I once knew a man who came every Sunday to be entertained and not to encourage He remarked that the Sunday afternoon game was more exciting than the Sunday morning assembly. And I wasn't surprised. So we we have to work hard at avoiding circumstances such as internal conflicts and, and personal agendas that distract us from the work of spreading the word. I mean, many of you know what can happen when conflict occurs. I mean, it's it's just Satan's way of rendering the church impotent by, by deceiving the church into fighting the wrong battles. The enemy is not us. And we also need to evaluate our ministries to make sure they have an evangelistic purpose to them. I mean, we're not really here to serve ourselves. The, the church was created to get the message to the world. And, and that doesn't mean we don't help one another when help is needed. You know, they worked out a plan to help the widows but in a way that didn't hinder the mission. Satan's goal is to prevent the church from getting the message to the world. He knows that if the church is is unified and focused on the mission, that the mission will succeed, and that is the last thing he wants. His goal is to distract us, to create problems, and the most effective way to do that is when you create problems. Internal, internal issues, internal problems. We're involved in the greatest, most important mission the world will ever know. We here. And the people who are engaged in that work are for the most part, you know, just 
you know, we're common ordinary people with one exception. We are empowered by God's Spirit. As the Pharisee Gamaliel told the Jewish leaders in Acts 5 concerning the Christians, if this movement is from God, you will not be able to stop them. You might even be fighting against God himself. The best way to guarantee success is to avoid distractions. According to Rubel Shelley, more than 6.5 million automobile accidents occur every year in the United States. More than a quarter of all auto accidents result from driver distraction. It's found that simple Distraction causes as many as 4,000 accidents every day. So distractions can be deadly, not only to individuals, but also to the church and the mission. You know, Satan has all kinds of tricks up his sleeve. I mean, last week we learned that one of his tricks is intimidation and bullying. And today we learned that another one of his tricks, internal Complaints, internal distractions. You know, there's no, there's no question there are a lot of distractions in this world. It takes a conscious effort to stay focused on what's important, not only in your personal life, but also in regard to your relationship with God and the kingdom work in which he's given you the privilege of participating. Josh McDowell tells this story. He, uh, he wrote the, the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Maybe some of you have read that before. He said, an executive headhunter who hires corporate executives for other firms once told me, when I get an executive that I'm trying to hire for someone else, I like to disarm him. I offer him a drink, take my coat off, then my vest, undo my tie, throw my feet up and talk about baseball, football, family, whatever, until he's all relaxed. And then when I think I've got him relaxed, I lean over, look him square in the eye and say, what's your purpose in life? It's amazing how top executives fall apart, he says at that, at that question. He goes on and says, well, I was interviewing this fellow the other day. I had him all disarmed with my feet up on his desk, talking about football, and then I leaned up and said, what's your purpose in life, Bob? And he said, without blinking an eye, to go to heaven and to take as many people with me as I can. He said, for the first time in my career, I was speechless. Now there's a guy who doesn't get distracted. The end of every message, and this is the end of the message, I like to offer an invitation to anyone in here who has not yet obeyed the gospel. If today is the day you're ready to turn your life over to Jesus, uh, we're here to help you do that. All you have to do is let us know. We're going to sing a song. Caleb is going to lead us in a song here in just a moment. Uh, while we sing, you can come to the front or you can see one of us immediately afterward. But it's an opportunity that if you're not a Christian and you're a believer, don't let it pass today. Because you don't know what distractions might occur through the week that lead you away. Satan will be, Satan will be following you around all week hoping to keep you away from this place, hoping to keep you away from God. So if you're here today and you haven't done that yet, we encourage you right now as we stand and as we sing.